world's going to hell in a handbasket. I think we can pretty much agree on that this morning. I mean, holy smokes, have you looked around lately? It's chaos. Absolute chaos. People taking other people's heads off because they're unwilling to bow to Allah. People just standing up and declaring whatever they want to declare is the new law, is the new law. Whatever you believe is right, as long as it doesn't infringe on my rights. It's chaos. There's not a single politician you can trust. I don't care what letter they got behind their name. We can't send our kids anywhere, right? Everywhere you send your kids, you've got to fill out a seven-page liability form. Then you can watch them on a camera from 45 different angles. And everywhere you send your kid, there's got to be someone with a weapon there to protect them. It's chaos. Man, the people around us are chaos. You think Jesus would have anything to say about the world? Probably. Do you think this is the first time that there's ever been chaos? Do you think this is the first time that humans have ever said, I'm going to do whatever I want? Do you think this is the first time that politicians have ever been like, you know what, I'm going to be a little dishonest and I'm going to make myself more money than everybody that I govern? Our politicians look really honest in comparison to the politicians of Jesus' day. Jesus knows chaos well. Jesus could have made the exact same statement when he was on earth that the world's going to hell in a handbasket. This morning, I think I could probably get a couple of amens if I continue down this path. This morning, though, we're not concerned about what's going on outside there. Jesus actually doesn't have any harsh words for those that are outside this room this morning. Read the Gospels. Read about where Jesus was teaching and preaching and and see who Jesus has the harshest words for. This morning, the question is not, What's wrong with the world? This morning, the question for you and I is, what type of person am I becoming? What type of person am I becoming? We read in Matthew chapter 23 this morning, this encounter between Jesus and the religious leaders, and he does not have nice words for them. This is crazy, and it's it's been bothering me as I've been trying to figure out better ways of interacting with the world around me, trying to become more approachable, trying to become someone that can be an evangelist here in our, in our culture. And as I've been studying more and more the, the person of Jesus, what I, what I keep recognizing is this, is I can't find a place where Jesus has a harsh word for someone outside of the church or outside of the religious community. Which is crazy because Jesus interacted with some real bad dudes. Jesus interacted with some people who just were flat, just just right, just flamboyantly declaring their sin. In those moments, I, Jesus still responds with, your sins are forgiven. I came for you. Let me come over to your house. But Jesus has some seriously harsh words for the religious community. Harsh words summarized by the words, woe to you. And this is not... Whoa, that's cool, dude. No, woe to you is a declaration from the prophet in the Old Testament basically saying, lightning, strike, right here. 
That's the visual of woe to you. It's lightning, God's righteous anger, bringing power at that exact moment. Jesus doesn't say, woe to you, woman caught in adultery. He says, woe to you, religious people who know the scriptures really, really well. That should cause us to hesitate a little bit. Because I know from my own heart, right now I'm ready to scream, woe to you, president so-and-so. Woe to you, neighbor so-and-so. When in reality, Jesus might be saying to my own heart, Woe to you, Rich McCorris. What type of person are you becoming? That's the question before us this morning. What type of person am I becoming? Jesus was getting after the religious leaders. And let's take a moment to understand what was wrong with the religious leaders. Why was Jesus bringing such damnation? Why was Jesus declaring anger against the religious leaders? Well, the first thing is this. The religious leaders were consistently focused on outward activity that would give the appearance of righteousness. Religious leaders were consistently and constantly focused on doing things that would cause other people to look at them and say, wow, they're really godly. We see it right here when Jesus is is, is attacking them. And I want to go down a little way. So look with me in Matthew 23 and maybe point out two things that you don't quite catch in the reading Matthew 23, verses 16 through 22, Jesus is having this conversation with them about making an oath. Kind of foreign to you and I because I I was trying to think the other day, we don't really make oaths. Outside of wedding covenant, when you stand up front, we've at least never had an oath in this church where I've asked you to come forward and make an oath promise on the altar. Now, an oath was very common for them. Here's what's interesting about it. Jesus is getting after them for their oaths. Why? Because they were making their oaths in a very deceptive way. You see, for for Jewish understanding, is the moment you introduced even the name of God, and you said something like this, I'm going to make an oath with God. It changed things dramatically because now when you broke that oath, you were committing treason against God by the very thing of having the name attached. So here's what they came up with. (laughs) I'm not going to make an oath with God. I'm going to make an oath with the gold on the altar. You see, now I can appear as though I'm making an oath with God, but guess what? I've got a little backdoor escape plan. Because if I break that oath, I know that I'm not really breaking it with God. And so I've I've protected myself from what? I've protected myself from breaking, which they know, a core law. I mean, they know the law well. They know that it's wrong to make a promise to God and break that promise. So what they've done is they've set up a beautiful system where to the world it can appear like, wow, they're making these honoring oaths to God. But in reality, they've set up a little escape hatch for themselves. You see, it's all about outward appearances to them. And then go to the next one, right? The next one there in Matthew chapter 23. After he talks about oath, he goes to our favorite subject, right? tithing. And so he says to him, you hypocrites for tithing. I'm like, whoa, Jesus, take it easy. We need to kind of fill the offering plates a little bit. Why are you getting after them? He says to them, hey, 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 you're tithing, not just on the crop. So, you know, 
the agricultural community, you had the main crop that would come in. So, for example, in our community, that would be soybeans and corn, right? And you, you're expected to tithe off the soybeans and corn. At the same time, those you got a little garden over here that you're kind of growing that stuff that no one likes anyhow, if we're honest, right? All that weird green stuff that you use to just butter, whatever. It's just not useful. Anyhow, so you're growing all of this little side stuff, right? And when you grow this stuff, look at the list. Dill, mint. I mean, this isn't exactly growing where you need one of those combines to come through and harvest it, right? It's kind of like one small plant. And so it's not like there's a bundle of harvest coming from it. But here's what they do. Well, we're going to tithe even the mint and the dill. So again, it has the appearance of, wow, they're really serious. You know, they're not having the conversation, should I tithe my uh, gross income, net income, after-tax income? They're tithing everything, not just the income. They're tithing the little things, such as the mint and the dill. So the outward world is like, wow, they're taking this really seriously. But guess what? Tithing the mint and the dill that they were growing on their little window, there's hardly anything there to tithe to begin with. But it has the appearance of what? Wow, they're really serious about giving back to God. Jesus says to you, Jesus says to them, <laughs> not so fast. You think you can't sneak that one past me, you're tithing that, but guess what? You're neglecting the big deal. It's kind of like when I tell one of my children, hey, we got community group tonight, people are coming over, it's time to clean. And so they, they go and they do what? They put the sticker page back on the top of the piano, and they're like, we're all done. But then you walk into the bathroom and the whole paper, the whole toilet paper roll is covering the whole floor. It's kind of like, well, I don't think anyone was going to notice that the sheet of stamps or stickers were moved. But, you know, they're probably going to notice the toilet paper all over the bathroom floor. The religious leaders were picking the smallest thing and yet what? Missing the boat. So Jesus is saying, hey, Whoa, 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 what's going on here? It's all for outward appearance. Religious leaders, religious people that Jesus despised. And you might think that's a strong word, but it's not nearly as strong as the word woe to you. Jesus despised activity that was done for outward appearance. And that should be a warning to our hearts. Appearances are deceiving. Secondly, Jesus wasn't just upset about them doing things for outward appearance. He's also upset because what? They want to be praised all of the time. Look with me here in Matthew 23. Begin at verse 5. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. They love the places of honor at feasts, the best seat in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplaces being called rabbi by others. Very simple they love the praise and honor that comes from other people. So as they come into the scene, as they come down the street, as they enter into the temple, they want the people around them to basically be like, oh, big deal's coming, get out of the way, and then greet them as though they are a big deal. In other words, they had a yearning, they had a desire for the praise of other people. And God's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Guess what? Being exalted by other people is actually fast-tracked to being humbled by God. But if you want to be exalted by God, we have to humble ourselves 
in front of other people. So the religious leaders wanted to be seen and they wanted to be praised by God. Very simply, the religious people simply weren't doing what Jesus desired. So what does Jesus desire? The simplest way of understanding that is Jesus desires from you and I what I desire from my mashed potatoes. What makes good mashed potatoes? Consistency. It's all about consistency in mashed potatoes, right? You either got to make them lumpy or smooth. But I don't want any of this business where it's like one bite's nice and smooth and the next bite is lumpy. Because guess what? That determines, affects how much gravy and butter ratio that I'm using on the situation. Because if there's more lumps, I got to use a little bit more gravy to soften the lump. But if it's smooth mashed potatoes, forget the gravy. We're going all butter. You see, mashed potatoes were made to be consistent. Jesus desires from you and I that we're consistent. What does it mean that he wants us to be consistent? First is this. He wants us to be consistent between our preaching and our practice. Look with me, if you would, here in verse 3 of Matthew 23. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do but do not practice. In other words, Jesus is like, hey, listen to their preaching, but do not follow their practice. The, you know, parenting is awesome, but there is a bad aspect to parenting. The bad aspect of parenting is they pick up on this really fast, that you ask them to do something, but you don't do it. It gets called out every single time. It's like, oh, man, why does this have to be? Jesus wants a consistency between what we ask of others and what we ask ourselves. It's so easy. I know I've noticed in my own heart and my own mind. It is so easy to notice the waywardness of another person. It's so easy to notice when someone else does something that shouldn't be done. But then when I take a quick thought back, if I do take a quick back thought, I'm like, oh yeah, I got some problems as well. It's so easy to get after another person. Jesus wants us, though, as as quick as we are to realize the error of another, are we as quick to realize the error of ourselves? This doesn't mean we don't recognize the error of the other. But the question is, are we consistent? If I'm calling out the error of the other and not my own error, that's hypocrisy. It's inconsistent, exactly why Jesus is calling out lightning from heaven. Consistent practice between what I preach and what I practice. The second thing that Jesus desires is this, consistently under the authority of Jesus. Consistently under the authority of Jesus. Here's what's happening. I want to try and make it as simple as possible. He gets kind of complicated here going into this, don't call your other people rabbi or teacher, father. And you might read that and go, well, that's weird. We call him pastor. I call my dad father. What? Well, and then Jesus, if you read the rest of the New Testament, what does he do? He puts people in offices called teacher, father. So is Jesus contradicting himself? Again, when we're reading the Bible, this is a good opportunity to remind us how we read the Bible. The Bible is literally teaching something to us. We're not concerned with what the Bible literally says. Big difference. What's Jesus teaching here? 
Jesus is teaching that no one should be able to usurp his authority no matter which role he has. So if an apostle, a pastor, a father usurps the authority of Jesus and we continue to follow them, we're no longer under the authority of Jesus. In other words, it's kind of like this. When a pastor says something, the question is this. Does it flow from the source of Jesus? That's why you should always be checking me. Not against Google, not against Wikipedia, but against the Word of God. Is, is what am I consistently saying consistent with where I'm taking it from, the Bible? Are we consistently living under the authority of Jesus Christ? This is a challenge for all of us, myself included, because I love reading. And so I fall in love with authors really quick. And we live in a devotional society, right? We love our devotion books. You know, Jesus is Calling, bestseller, purpose-driven life, bestseller. And so what happens is this, is we fall in love with those authors We've got to be really careful. No author is perfect. And so are we elevating the author of Jesus' calling above Jesus Christ? Where an author is consistent of Jesus, we should say, awesome, thank you God for bringing this instrument in my life to teach me. But we've always got to make sure, certain we're falling under the authority of Jesus Christ. Are you consistently falling under the authority of of Jesus Christ above all else. Very simply, John Kelvin says this. We need to admit that many pastors are under Jesus as long as they hold that Jesus is preeminent over everything. Admit that Jesus is preeminent over everything. So when we're listening to other teachers, other thinkers, the question is this. Do they acknowledge the supremacy, the ultimate authority of Jesus Christ in everything? The Pharisees had done this. They had taken the law of God and made their interpretations of the law above the law. And so they were no longer consistently under the authority of God. Finally this, are you and I consistent with the whole message of God? Are we consistent with the whole message of God? This is what he's getting at in the tithing piece. Is he saying, hey, yeah, you know, God wants you to tithe. I mean, he says that right there. He says, right? He says, continue to do it plus this other stuff. The problem is this, is they weren't consistently applying the law of God. They had the tithing, but they were neglecting the mercy and the justice. Are we consistent? You know, we're really quick to yell about some things and say nothing about other things. Are we consistently strong across the board? This is hard. Because there's certain things that bother us more than other things, right? Here's what I want you to think about for a moment. All of us have had struggles in our lives of, of different things. Struggles in relationship, struggles maybe with addiction, struggles with financial management. All of us have maybe a couple of little different things that are struggles for us. And with those struggles that we have, have you ever noticed it's so much easier to be empathetic towards others that have those same struggles? But when you run into someone who has a struggle that you've never experienced, it's so much easier to come down with a hammer. And we have to be careful. 
And sometimes what we have to do, we have to work hard to say, you know what, I don't understand your struggle, but I'm going to project a little bit from the struggle I've had with this, that it's similar, and use that to, to guide our empathy towards someone else. Are we consistent with the word of God across the board? Jesus desires consistency. Consistency with our practice and our preaching, consistently under his authority, and consistently, consistently under the whole teaching of the Bible. Jesus desires consistency. What kind of person are you becoming? So this morning, what if you, you and I did a little heart check? Because again, this morning the question is this, what type of person am I becoming? Forget the world for a moment. You don't have to answer for the world. You have to answer for you. What type of person am I becoming? So here's a couple of questions I want to ask all of us to ask ourselves to examine our hearts this morning. The first is a kind of a two-part question, this. What causes me to boil? And at the same time, ask the question, what causes Jesus to boil? What, what gets you frustrated, upset? Would Jesus get frustrated and upset about the same thing? Or what gets Jesus upset and frustrated? Does it also upset and frustrate you? The, peop, the religious leaders, you know what they were frustrated by? They were frustrated by Jesus healing on the Sabbath. Multiple times they're like, Jesus, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Why are you helping someone on the Sabbath? And that was their frustration, and that's what was boiling within them. Do you know what was boiling within Jesus? Injustice. What was boiling within Jesus were widows that were not visited. What causes you to, to boil? Is it the same thing that causes Jesus to boil? Second question, this is a hard one. So if you're going to focus on any of the questions, focus on this one. Have I changed recently? Have I changed recently? <laughs> oh, saying the C word is a big, much bigger deal than some of the other four-letter words I could use this morning, right? Change. Oh. Change is not optional. Change is a necessity. If you don't believe you need to change this morning, you're saying this, I'm perfect, and I don't need a Savior. If you don't believe you need to change, you don't need Jesus. So this morning, what, has one of your viewpoints changed recently? Okay, come on. Have you changed your mind about the way you look at something? Because... What are the chances that you, born in little Sioux Falls, South Dakota, were born with all the right, exact opinions about everything? Has your opinion changed at all recently about anything? How about your character? Has your character changed at all recently? If we are becoming consistent, guess what? There's going to be change. This is hard because you know what? Your friends are going to be like, wow, you changed your mind on that? Yeah, because of Jesus. And character development is hard work because the Holy Spirit's working on us as we're going through the spiritual discipline. 
God's going to put us in different spots to shape us and form us. Have you changed recently? If you and I haven't changed, I think there's only one phrase for you and I. Woe to us. Woe to us. So let's, let's close up this morning by maybe looking at it a little different way. How do I avoid, how do I avoid the Pharisee religion, right? I don't know about you, but I'm like, okay, woe to you, lightning strikes. Please tell me, how do I just go a different route than that? Two, two things to consider. Avoid the Pharisee religion is this. Hold on to your rules and expectations very loosely. Some of us, myself included, we've built up rules besides the law of God. When we've got to understand that, guess what? We need to shrink back our rules and expectations. If people aren't meeting our rules and expectations, the question is, are they meeting God's, not meeting mine? When we get so stuck on our rules and expectations, it molds us basically right into a Pharisee. Because what were they stuck on? They were stuck on their rules. Not the law of God. Second is this. How do I avoid the Pharisee religion? There's really only one way. And that's to constantly go back to the source. Jesus himself. I said earlier, right, about the pastor and the teachers living under their authority who's living under the authority of Jesus Christ. You cannot thrive living off of my study. You cannot thrive living off of my Bible knowledge. The only way you can thrive is by going to the source yourself. I cannot go to the source enough to have enough outflow that's going to allow you to thrive. Are you going to the source yourself of Jesus Christ? Because when we go to the source of Jesus Christ, that's where the change begins to happen. That's where we begin to boil the way Jesus boils. If you want to avoid the woe, are you the lightning strike? It begins by going to the source, Jesus Christ. Are we going to be Jesus people? Or are we going to be religious people? Very, very different. What type of person are you becoming this morning? The type of person who Jesus would say, woe to you? Or the type of person who Jesus would say, please go be with other people? Have you ever had that experience? Or maybe in your company you're like, hey, let's not let any of the customers interact with so-and-so, right? Because you don't want them to have that feeling of your business at all. Now, translate that for a moment. To think about Jesus. Are you the type of person Jesus would say, hey, go, be with people because I want those people to see my name on you. I want to be the type of person that Jesus says, go and be with people because I want other people to know me as they see you. What type of person am I becoming? Let us pray. Gracious and everlasting God, we thank you for your word. And, and Lord, we acknowledge that there's inconsistencies in our heart. There's certain things that we hold on to really tight, and there's other things that we ignore because it's uncomfortable. 
So God, I pray this next week as you give each of us a desire to go to you, our source, that you would straighten those inconsistencies out. And I pray that you'd mold us to be consistent reflections of your image. So God, I pray now that you'd mold us and shape us to be people who would represent your name with faithfulness and would be a blessing to others. God, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your promise to continue to mold and shape us into your image. In Jesus' name, amen.